Welcome back to the first false finish of the Broken Christian Podcast. I honestly had no idea I was going to do this until about the first of the year. I woke up January 1st, and this idea immediately popped into my head. It was prompted by a need to process a part of my past that I haven't touched in a while. And when I did again recently, I was absolutely broken by it. Thus, the broken Christian rides again. In the meantime, I've written at least one song, and it fits quite well to the subject matter. So I get to keep my lovely format. Now, I'm not promising to keep this up, where every time I write a new song, I'll do a bonus episode. But it did just happen to work out that I needed a public therapy session, and this song just happened to be fresh off the presses. Here's where this podcast came from and what it's going to be about. Some of the most influential people in my entire life. My grandparents. I'm currently going through a Seven Pillars group through the Pure Desire Ministry out of Portland, Oregon. This is similar to a step study, if you're familiar with that from Celebrate Recovery. We recently had an assignment to write down our 10 most painful memories in life and look for a pattern and see how our lives have changed because of them. Well, this happened during the month of December, which is just brutal for me. I call it seasonal depression, but it's honestly worse than that. I'm absolutely fragile during the time period of Thanksgiving to New Year's, and this year was no different. So I make it to my first group uh, with list in hand, ready to share, but I'm obviously not doing super great. The leader notices this and asks, what's wrong? I don't know, man. I just hate this time of year. All my friends are busy with their families, things slow down, and all these reminders are right in my face. I seriously get depressed and can't handle normal life during this time of the year. He wisely first just affirmed his love for me and that I was welcome there. But then he followed up with a comment. I wonder if your 10 most painful memories have anything to do with this. Maybe look for a pattern. The group conversation moved on, but I looked down and looked through my list. There were six out of 10 during this time frame. And then the worst of all hit me. My 11th painful memory and maybe first in priority somehow blocked and ignored. My grandmother passed away a couple days after Thanksgiving, 10 years ago. When I realized this, I broke and just just started weeping. Everything came into focus and I had this immense wound that I never truly addressed. First off, because of my past theology and not dealing with emotions in a healthy way, but also because I truly didn't understand the damage. Everyone deals with the loss of a loved one differently. I felt like I did address it and then moved on. My grandmother had passed away and I slowly began to forget her. My grandpa is still alive today, but will soon be joining her. I had no idea what it meant to my entire life and outlook to lose her. And I believe I have a story to tell, one that you'll enjoy. I will warn you, though, that this one will be very sad. I'll probably not make it through without crying. What's new, though, is that hopefully, just like all the other stories I've told, telling this one will bring me release. And that's what this bonus episode is all about. Thank you for joining me one more time. Come to me, all you hurting and lost The parts of you that don't fit right Fit right inside my arms So come to me to be chosen and loved 
fears will have an answer Cause my love will be enough So now I live in eastern Pennsylvania. I really don't meet many people that uh, I would term Midwesterners. So I grew up in Ohio, mind you, and everyone I interact with now are from Philly, Lancaster, Maryland, New York, New Jersey. At first when I moved out here, it was more noticeable. I was from a foreign and boring land that nobody wanted to hear about. I'm officially from a flyover state, but I will remind you that we usually choose the president in elections, had a couple national championships, sent multiple people up into space, rock music hall of fame, football hall of fame, list goes on and on, my friend. But honestly, right now, I don't have anyone in my life that is from the heartland. Maybe some friends from back home that I keep in touch with but not in my current orbit. Why is this important? Well, first off, this is my origin story. I'm super interested in yours, learning yours, by the way. I love hearing about the different family dynamics, big Italian families in big cities, or family members doing notable things, international roots that continue to be a treasure trove of flavor and life. But I just realized that I need an entire interlude to introduce you to my origin. Again, yours might be very similar, but here it goes. My mom's family. I didn't really know my dad's family, and my biological father is Jewish, and I have even less of an idea what that was like for him. So all my connections my grounding, it comes from Dick and Betty Game. Game is spelled G-A-H-M. I haven't seen many names like it. I believe the heritage is German or French English. I did Ancestry DNA, and it's a mix of that area. However, they are part of a very specific move inside the U.S. called the Ohio Valley Migration. This means that colonists moved west all at about the same time and settled in the area of the Ohio Valley during the early days of the Union. My grand grandmother's family name was Pyatt, which I believe is even more French. And they grew up, both my grandfather and my grandmother, grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio. This is very close to Kentucky in the southern, southern western part of Ohio. Both Dick and Betty grew up during the Depression, born in 1926. They have loads of stories, um, fascinating different time. And Dick went off to serve during World War II. He has a bad eye, kind of lazy, still sees okay through it. But he wanted to serve. So instead of being a soldier, they allowed him to work the docks in Pearl Harbor, loading and unloading new equipment called radar and sonar. When the ships came in, he would work until the job was done. Sometimes 36 hours straight. Back home, he was courting this lovely girl named Betty, and he typed letters to her. He only finished the ninth grade, and with a bad eye, I'm sure his handwriting probably would be worse. But his spelling, it was very cute, though, and the mistakes had a bit of a charm to them. He worked at Pearl Harbor until the end of the war, and when everything finished, he moved back married the girl, and looked for work. Betty only had two requests. She wanted to live on a hill, and she wanted to have running water. The running water was a luxury during the first part of her life, and the Ohio River Valley was notorious for flooding. 
and she just wanted to avoid that for the rest of her life. Dick still didn't have a great education, but he knew how to work. He found out about a little town in Northeast Ohio called Mansfield that was booming with opportunities for work. He packed up his little family and moved there to start their lives. There were jobs at the GM factory, uh, the pump company called Gorman Rupp, various other industries, and most importantly, Westinghouse. The story goes that Grandpa got a, a job at Westinghouse where he picked up as much overtime as he could. Their little family grew to four with two daughters, my Aunt Penny and my mom. They lived in a little trailer while my grandfather worked full-time, worked part-time in addition to that, and built their house himself from scratch. He didn't know anything about building houses before he started, but he would make friends, learn, and then start doing it and learn more along the way. He likes to brag that during an entire year of his life, while this was going on, he lived on four hours of sleep. Pretty soon, though, he finished. He did what he always did. He worked until the job was done, and he didn't complain. He provided for his family a home on a hill, and it, of course, had running water. Let's talk about your past I know that story too The parts you don't understand I can walk through with you The answers that you're looking for Take time to hear So come to me and bring all your tears So do you have any connection to Americana? Like, is that something you've just seen in the movies? Or do you have relatives that lived during this time period or that, that, that remind you of Americana? Uh, maybe from the Depression, the greatest generation. Not many of them are left. Let me tell you what life looked like for my grandparents. My grandpa still lives in the house he built. He's, he just turned 96 today. He can still drive, but he does it less and less. I'll tell you more about him later, but like I said, he did, he does what he always does. He just keeps working. He worked at Westinghouse until he was 60, and then he retired. He and I are 60 years apart. Grandma also worked at a place called Thermodisc, at least one of the jobs that she had. They raised the two girls and a couple other cousins and kids that came and went when others needed some help. Growing up during the Depression taught them to save their money and make do with what they had. They always had a garden and always canned their own food. Grandpa always worked on his own cars as much as he was able. Eventually, they afforded such luxuries as a boat to go water skiing and different cars throughout the years. Grandpa even got uh, an old Ford tractor, a, a large one, uh, 8N. It's very old now, still runs. Um, he used it for years to plow all the driveways up and down the streets for free. When it started snowing, he'd start going. He became the neighborhood handyman, always doing everything for free. He was a charter member of the local chapter of the barbershop choir called the Singing Chordsman. And he and Betty were also charter members for the Johnny Appleseed District Western Square Dancing Group. They were part of those groups for more than 40 years together, and Grandpa still sings. You can see the pictures of this journey lining the walls of the house he built 
The glasses are thicker and larger, as are the mustaches and mutton chops in some of the photos, but the smiles are still the same. They also became lifetime members at the church around the corner called Trinity Methodist Church. Whenever I went there with them, they wore their best, and it seemed like they knew everyone, and everyone wanted to say hi to them and ask who I was. After retiring, they kept busy. Uh, They found a new hobby business. They started going to garage sales. They would buy lots and lots of things. Grandpa would fix them up, and then they would sell it, sell whatever they bought at flea markets marked up. I remember going with them when I was a kid. I got to see all the things for sale It was a magical world of wonder. Driving through the neighborhoods and stopping, we would look in the morning paper and find out where all the the garage sales were, and then we would map out our route, and then we would, oh, that's not worth that, and that's too much, or oh, that's a good deal, and I'll take that off of you, and I'll buy that whole thing from you. And, And then he would just start working and sharpening tools and making them good and looking for these brands. And it just, it was so life fulfilling for both of them. Um, it, it's so funny. Um, my grandma would get to talk to people, whether at the garage sale or running the tent at the flea market and grandpa would get to stay busy and make a profit. So one, one time in later on in life, I was riding my bike through a neighborhood and I saw a garage sale and I just stopped by and I just started talking with the women and and they reminded me so much of my grandma and my mom and they had a coffee table for for sale and it was a oak coffee table Amish built and it had a gash in the top but they sold it and I needed one and I was I was like I'm looking at it right now where this is part of my heritage you know getting slightly used articles uh, that other people don't want or that want other people that care about them to have them. And then you kind of incorporate them into your lives. Um, my, my homes all through college, all through life, not as much now, has o- have always been filled with, with lots of useful knickknacks. And they would eagerly look for and supplied for me, all the other kids and grandkids. To this day, I have a drawer of mixed silverware where no two forks are the same. I love it this way. I have my favorite forks, and I choose based upon how I'm feeling that day. And I don't want my forks any other way. Grandma was the sweetest, quick-witted socialite you've ever met. Always encouraging and interested. Her mannerisms were over-exaggerated. Oh, boy, you got it, boy, (laughs) or something. But she was always sincere. (laughs) She used to be invited to Tupperware parties um, through the years. Grandpa loves to brag about her with this. And she would say, why? I'm not going to buy anything. And they said, no, come anyways, because you always say funny things. (laughs) To her... No man or woman was a stranger. She easily struck up conversations no matter where she was. She shone brightly, and Grandpa did what he always did. He kept working. Their house was the home of every holiday I ever remember growing up. Especially notable were Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Fourth of July picnics. (laughs) Their 4th of July picnics were filled with barbecue and aluminum folding chairs on grass on the grassy hill under the trees that they planted. We'd play frisbee in the large green yard on the other side of the long driveway from where we had the picnic set up. There was this interesting sauce that was a family recipe called pepper butter. It actually contains zero butter. It's more of a banana pepper mustard relish. It's sweet and spicy and goes perfectly on grilled meats. 
I didn't appreciate it when I was young, but I soon learned the errors of my ways. And uh, I, I'd pump it directly into my veins if I could. <laughs> but no, that would be a, uh, an absolute waste. I still have a couple jars from the last batch Grandpa has ever done, and I treasure them. I've made this before I have the recipe, but it's been a while, and I'll need to pick it up uh, once he, he passes. But like I said, they were the home of Thanksgiving and Christmas every year. Come to me, all you hurting and lost. The parts of you that don't fit right, fit right inside my arms. So come to me to be chosen in love. Your fears will have an answer, cause my love will be enough. I blame Grandpa for my distrust in turkey. He always was the one in charge of making the turkey. Everyone else had all the other dishes. Grandma made the mashed potatoes, which were always from a box. And that's the way I grew up and I like it. Not the way I cook now, but whatever. And she always made really great gravy. And you can always pull out a dish with some really good gravy. Aunt Penny made the pumpkin pie. Mom made this broccoli dish. Other notable mentions was the family recipe oyster dressing. That's not my jam. Uh, and blackberry cobbler. My favorite was one year, Grandma accidentally didn't have the blackberries and made an apple cobbler instead. I loved it so much that she made both for me, one apple, one blackberry cobbler for every holiday afterwards. But yes, Grandpa and the turkey. He would cook it in the basement with this big roaster by the way, their house, i it's probably against code or something like that, but it's so small. Like there's just, it's a box and the stairs are at such a steep angle. You have to like go down them sideways or, or with your head kind of tilted. Um, they were both shorter people, so it made it, it worked. Actually, the upstairs is the same way. It, it seems like you're almost climbing up a ladder. It is so steep. So you climb down this rust, rusty, rustic basement, just a poured concrete basement. And the, the, Grandpa had this roaster down there, and there was nothing else but the horrid smell of concentrated turkeyness and all the extra fun messiness that a big carcass entails, which for someone from the Depression didn't think anything of. I remember uh, them talking about leftover meats uh, from one of their uncles who is a traveling meat salesman. So you didn't go to the grocery store and pick out your piece of meat like, I want this, I want that. There was like a traveling meat salesman. And at the end of the day, he had everything. The only thing he had left was the pieces that people didn't want. And that were things like the hooves or the tongues or the ears. My grandpa's favorite meat, okay, which by the way, I don't think we even knew what vegetarian meant. So my grandfather's favorite meat would either be young groundhog or turtle. <laughs> Did you know that there are actually seven different types of meat on a turtle? I didn't. Um, and, and young groundhog, it actually tastes, you guessed it, like chicken. Uh... Why not eat chicken, you might ask? I have no idea. Uh, yeah. 
But one of my grandpa's favorite stories was feeding a large group of family members a meal of young groundhog and not telling them that they ate what they had eaten for a year. And he probably could have kept that secret forever. Okay, the turkey. It was always dry. Everyone knew it, but grandpa. He would brag and brag and offer it to everyone to try. Ooh, that's some good turkey. Yeah, grandpa. But we would encourage him to cook it just a little less time. But he would never get the point. And it was a good thing grandma's gravy was always so good. She cooked it in those pans that looked like the 60s incarnate. <laughs> and they belonged to that generation and none other. Like I said, the house was charmingly small. The kitchen especially, which also happened to be the dining room. Grandpa would go down to the garage and pull out the only for special occasions, super large and heavy, 10-foot table. He'd wheel it up to the house and set it up. There was just enough room to get a chair around the table in every spot. At the top of the table was Grandpa, and right next to him was Grandma. On Grandpa's other side was Aunt Penny and her plus one. Next came Penny's daughters, my two cousins. They're about 15 and 10 years older than me. At the other end, at the head of the other end, was my dad. And next to him was mom. And when I finally made it to the big table, instead of the kids' table, me. We would bring out the holiday plates. <laughs> they were the old-fashioned, you know, pictures of barns, green with a... With a you know, just like uh, white and green with pictures of farms and barns and bellows. And you've probably seen them. Uh, the glasses. The glasses were also brought out and they sat in this little carrying tray with a napkin over them all year long, except for Thanksgiving and Christmas. No one moved all meal long. You couldn't. <laughs> you had to pass. Pass your plates, pass the dishes, everyone ate and ate. And then we would eat some more and just sit together and talk for a little while longer. The guys would go and watch football and the women cleaned up. I, of course, thoroughly enjoyed these outdated gender roles. Later, we would reassemble for a family game of Uno and I eventually hated sitting next to Grandma and handing over another draw for. Sorry, Grandma. When I was younger, I thought it was funny. But later on, I never wanted to ever do anything against my dear, sweet Grandma, even if she never once took it personal. My life's dream was to get married and join this Midwestern fairy tale. I know you fear the future, I can understand your doubt. The ups and downs of life have left you down and out. But trust me when I tell you that the best is yet to come. So come to me to see what can be done. About the time I started grad school at Ohio State, my grandmother started showing signs of Alzheimer's. She started put, putting things away in the wrong place. She started forgetting things. This is the one disease that she had feared her entire life. That's why she was always reading another cheesy romance novel, just to keep her brain active. However, 
it all did not matter. And it was starting to steal from her and our family. Grandpa was as strong as ever. And he did what he always does. He kept working. He took care of her and kept adjusting to the new symptoms and reality. Grandma could spend less and less time alone. Grandpa was the primary caregiver and did an admirable job, but it was exhausting. The descent was fairly quick. She was becoming a shell of the beautiful person she used to be. Sometimes Alzheimer's comes on slowly or lasts for years. That wasn't the case for my grandma, especially once she started falling. After the first fall, she ended up in the hospital with a broken hip. I remember driving up to Mansfield to see her. I bought her a stuffed elephant in the gift shop and brought it to her. My grandmother's favorite animal is the elephant. She had figurines, pictures, big, large, small. My home actually has three elephants in it. My favorite one was a porcelain elephant. It was so beautiful. I always remember seeing it when I came in. I decided that was the one that I wanted when they passed, when, when she passed, when to remember her by. When I finally got it, I realized that it was very chintzy. <laughs> the back leg had been broken off and re-glued. <laughs> the red rubies were just heart stickers. And yet it was still so beautiful. I cherish that. And, and, and in some ways, it kind of resembles my family. Just very, very simple roots. And proud, but also maybe not respected by the, the rest of the world. That's okay. But I got her another one, and it sits on their bed to this day. It was purple. Fluffy purple elephant. When I arrived in the room and I was saying hi, Grandpa was like, hey, watch this. And he asked my grandma questions. Like, what's your social security number? And she would rattle off the number perfectly. <laughs> but if he asked her what had happened when she fell, she couldn't remember. She was in a nursing home for a while. Grandpa would go and visit her. Other falls or visits. She came down to Columbus Hospital once and I came to visit her. Eventually she was sent back home under the care of hospice. Grandpa still took care of her tirelessly. But at 86, he was having to say goodbye to someone he had been with for 63 years. There were moments of extreme clarity. It would absolutely cut through all the pain and shock us. My mom, she had a conversation with grandma about how this time of transition was hard but would be something my mom would cherish once she was gone. That grandma was helping her the best she could. My moment of clarity came the summer after finished grad school. I was without work. I was working 
a job as a floor, floor, you know, assistant <laughs> boots and dirty jeans and hot summer days and just trying to figure out the next step. And I was waiting to hear back from something. And there just happened to be an opening at Ohio State University freshman engineering department where I wanted to go. I just didn't quite want to leave the university. And I applied for a job that I didn't get. And instead, they they were opening up a new position to go teach at the college and then this partnership with the high school. And they told me, hey, we'd like to, to welcome you back as a lecturer, you know, professor. You know, I only had a master's, but my mom relayed the information to my grandma and she got it. She was excited. And so my mom immediately called me and I immediately answered. First of all, I don't know what it's like for you, but during those time periods, phone calls are some of the worst dreaded things of your entire life. And yet so encouraging as well, because my grandmother was on the other end of that phone call and told me how proud she was of me. This woman had prayed for me every night. They had supported me through college every month with a check for $100. To be able to have that moment where I made her proud and it was, it was worth it for a moment. That was a good moment. Ah, I thought that one, I thought that one was going to be easier. Okay. Whew, the next one is the hardest. So please be praying for me. The final moment of clarity came for grandpa as it should. After Thanksgiving that year, Grandpa invited the local barbershop quartet whose name is Home Edition to come and sing for Betty one last time. She was in a hospital bed in what they called the playroom. She had been fairly out of it for a while. Grandpa was still doing what he always did, working and taking care of her. But they came, therefore, if you've, if you've never seen Barbershop Choir, look it up. <laughs> Especially in such a small room and just them having the bass, the biggest bass singer I've ever seen in my life with the best voice and then the lead and he's, you know, oh my gosh, and the tenor, oh, and the, the leader who's the baritone who's singing like all the harmonies. It's quite the sight. I grew up going to the concerts. I, I still would go to one. But they came and they sang and they sang. And they sang. And my grandmother sat up in her bed and, and her eyes were alive. She knew what was going on and she watched and enjoyed every moment of it. When they were done, they said their goodbyes. Betty closed her eyes and decided that that was as good a time as ever to say goodbye. She officially passed a couple days later. Mm -hmm. 
come to me, all you hurting and lost The parts of you that don't fit right, fit right inside my arms So come to me to be chosen and loved Your fears will have an answer, cause my love will be enough Saying goodbye was my first moment of intense loss. It was my first death that I had to face. I spoke at her funeral and extolled her life just like I have here, talking about the house that my grandpa built for her and even more so the mansion that our Lord had prepared for her. I spoke with confidence and grace. It was held at her church. In addition to our family, it was attended by members of the barbershop community, the square dancing community, flea marketing, neighbors, anyone else who happened to have the extreme pleasure of meeting this wonderful woman. I distinctly remember sitting with Grandpa in the church cafeteria and eating cherry pie, which I learned for the first time was her favorite. It was a sad time, but the, the quick decline that she had gone through came as a blessing. We all tried to capture as much of the beauty of her life as we could while we all started the grieving process. Mom took the longest, as I knew she would. She used to talk with Mom on the phone every day. And they had a wonderful relationship. The beginning and end were as sweet as could be. In the middle, when she got involved in the way, there was some absence and some distance. I remember being almost frustrated with my mom for how long it was taking her to, to get over it. It wasn't until the following summer that she really had some breakthrough moments. But I seemed to handle the fact of life easier. It was sad, and I'd miss her, but it was just part of life. One thing, though that I always wanted was to get married before she died so that she could meet my wife. A number of friends were married by then and I was getting to a place where it seemed like the logical next step. <laughs> if it worked for them, I mean, what? how hard could it be for me? I remember getting the phone call and hearing the news of her passing and my first thought was that I had an unanswered prayer. I had asked God for something that seemed simple, and he did not give it to me. I tried to give it to God and, and say, your will be done, but that disappointment was tough to swallow. I didn't see why I was late to the marriage party or, you know, for, for grandma's sake. <laughs> I had everything I needed, and marriage was going to fix my annoying need to watch pornography every couple of weeks as a binge purge cycle. What I didn't realize is that it was far deeper than that, <laughs> and that all of life was changed from then on. Grandma was the glue, the linchpin that held everything together. She was everyone's favorite. My parents bought a camper and started going south for the winters immediately. That includes Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
Eventually, they bought my my brother's old house, and and they became snowbirds. So, when the fall, they would move down back to Florida. For spring, they would move back up to Ohio. That's a tiresome process. Um, eventually, they just got tired of it and coming back up north, and they just moved down to Florida permanently. Now, for my life, the space from my parents and them no longer being a regular member at church or seeing them on Sundays, it gave me the ability to grow and change and mature. I think it was the foundation of feeling free enough to move to Pennsylvania. But the space also meant that I lost any semblance of the holidays I grew up cherishing. This time of year has been crushing because each successive holiday is a reminder of what I no longer have and what I can never have again. I always loved traditions and I wanted, I want to start a family to begin my own new traditions, but it feels like I went into a holding pattern and, and was never able to land. I see everyone else with big families and I miss the small kitchen filled with warmth and laughter. Part of why I was drawn to an unhealthy relationship was all the siblings she had and the ability to just join a family that was already formed, to almost have the instant plug-and-play solution to all my lost dreams. Maybe one day, but not yet. I'm learning to make the most of the time period, but the solution was definitely not what I wanted it to be. It reminds me of Job, my long lost hero. At the end of the book, do you realize that he gets a new family? His daughters are the most beautiful in all the land. He's rich again too. Everyone shows him kindness and love, and he gets to enjoy the rest of his life with joy and thankfulness. But you also realize that that wasn't the answer, right, to all his questions, all his quandaries. That's kind of the icing on the cake. The answer was God. Job knew God better after all the loss. He knew himself better. He knew life better. He was humbled in ways that I don't think he ever would have known or imagined. It was like a surgery to get deep enough to remove the pride he had. And it, of course, hurt. But it was worth it. You remember at the beginning of the book, I think, you know, it's been a while since I've read it. I need to go back and read it. It's just so fascinating. I remember identifying so much with what Job said. Um, I've lost my Bible that had all my fun notes about Job in it, so I'm going to have to make a new one. Shucks, but that's okay. Um, at the beginning, God brags about Job, you know, like, look at my servant Job in all the land. Is there anyone fairer than him, righteous in all his his deeds and thoughts. And Satan wants to tempt him, wants to challenge that. Like, he's only good because he's got good circumstances. And God says, okay, but don't kill him. He actually comes twice, once for physical things and another thing for, like, illness, and he's just wrecked by the end of it. And then the next 30-plus chapters are him basically having to defend himself from everybody that's a miserable counselor saying, you sinned, just admit it and die. And he's like, no. Turns out he doesn't know the first two chapters where God is telling this whole thing about, like, I really like Job. I think Job is a really great guy. And the devil's like, I want to tempt him. And God says, okay. And Job doesn't know that conversation, doesn't get the, the insight to it. So he's like, questioning all these things. And eventually Elihu comes and starts talking to him and tells him about the nature of God and the nature of man and how he is 
so high above us and, you know, our place and our thoughts and, and the, the righteous deeds that we do and how we think so highly of ourselves and we really shouldn't. And then I think this is the part that most people know, but the last five chapters, four, four chapters, God goes on this rant about, do, do, you, do you have the right to question me? Do you know what I've done in creation? Do you know about Leviathan or Behemoth? And Job answers that I spoke about things that I didn't understand, which is what God wanted him to get to. And that I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now hath mine eyes seen you. I, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And then, then God goes over to the, the three miserable comforters and, and he says, you have spoken wrongly about me. You should go get Job to pray for you so that I don't destroy you. Because he's done what is right in my eyes. I think it's, it's amazing that it, the book starts and ends with God being proud of Job. And and sometimes I focus on the middle. The middle is just exposing a heart that was the same heart that was there in Job 1 and 2. Job didn't have challenges to his happiness, didn't have things that were disappointments or losses. <laughs> and when he did have them, some of those impurities like like melting gold and scooping it off from the top. They rose to the surface. You almost can't blame him. But by the end of it, with his awe and, and shock of, of the, the gravity of God, he becomes an even better person. And I hope that for my life. I hope that for your life. That's what this podcast is hopefully about. Getting honest, <laughs> letting God be the one that purifies us. I think we're all trying to do that. I mean, you wouldn't have listened to 13 episodes now if you didn't have a heart for that. But I think at times we just, we realize that these tests, they stink. They really hurt. And I think Jesus hurt too. You know, my favorite, some of my favorite teachers like Tim Keller likes to remind me that Jesus was a perfect person with an imperfect life. You know, nobody would have wanted his end. Job was a pretty good person with an imperfect life. I'm not sure if I'm even a pretty good person. I think Job is very good for, for those religious types like us out there because Job was like the best religious person there. And he was actually one with a good heart. So I don't even know if I'm that good at religion anymore. And I know for a fact that I don't even have the best heart. But I love relating with Joe because he, he pushes back and he says, no, there's something going on here and I don't understand this and I don't like it. And God is forceful with him, but he answers him and he helps him. May we all be like Job. You know, to conclude, uh, one bright spot that we all didn't expect, and we found out years later, we, 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 we started immediately, but we all started to realize what had happened. The bright spot was Grandpa. With Grandma gone, all of a sudden, he started to shine in ways that I had never known before. We became a couple of bachelors who routinely went out for breakfast, and I have watched just about every John Wayne movie there is, and there are quite a few, and I have personal favorites now. For years after his loss, his favorite phrase was, the Lord's been good to me. 
Yeah, Grandpa. Me too. And he still does what he always has done. He keeps going. He keeps working. Soon I'll have to say goodbye to him too. And it will hurt. And my connection with Americana Midwest fairy tale will be lessened. But I hope to let it live on in my heart. Maybe not the Midwest fairy tale, but just my life fairy tale. The hope, the dreamer. It's not over yet. They were good dreams before, but life turned out differently than I hoped. And that's okay. Not what I planned, but not my will, but yours be done. This time, I hope to grieve my losses in a healthy way and acknowledge that some hurts in this life will only be answered in heaven. That used to seem unfair. Now I think it's amazing that I ever saw such a beautiful story and had such an encouraging, loving, and special person in my past. I hope to deal with the pain so that I am truly able to make a new future with the friends and the loved ones that I have in my life now. Come to me, all you hurting and lost The parts of you that don't fit right Fit right inside my arms So come to me to be chosen in love Fears will have an answer Cause my love will be enough Let's talk about your past I know that story too Parts you don't understand, I can walk through with you. But the answers that you're looking for take time to hear. So come to me and bring all your tears. Come to me, all you hurting and lost. The parts of you that don't fit right, fit right inside my arms. Come to me to be chosen in love Your fears will have an answer Cause my love will be enough I know you fear the future I can understand your doubt The ups and downs of life I left you down and out But trust me when I tell you That the best is yet to come what can be done Come to me All you hurting and lost the Parts of you that don't fit right Fit right inside my arms So come to me To be chosen in love Fears will have an answer Cause my love will be enough Fears will have an answer Cause my love will be enough Good morning, Andrew. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining so nice. How you doing, sweetie? The reason I called, Grandpa's got a re fixed a real nice desk at the... Um, neighbor had given us to sell at the flea market sea and the desk we were just wondering if you're nice if you would like to have it now the desk is just as big as grandpa's desk in the playroom sea and then if you want it he's got an extra desk chair that he's fixed up that he will give you but you don't have to make up your mind right away. Uh, see if you got a spot for it. it, it it's got little legs that it can t uh, take off, and, and it, it would fit in your dad's uh, van. 
So, um, think it over, sweetie. Love you. Bye-bye. Hey, Andrew, this is your grandpa. Just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. Hope you're having a good time. Call me back if you get a chance. I do love you. Bye.